All right, welcome back to Game of Microphones, episode 131. This is part two of three, continuing our coverage of the House of the Dragon season one finale, episode 10, The Black Queen. We were just talking about the epicness of the painted table and its introduction as the war map for the upcoming dance. I want to go back and watch the scenes with Stannis and Melisandre at Dragonstone with the painted table and then Danny in season seven and eight. Yeah. Um, when the babe, when the shadow demon is uh, conceived. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and see if it doesn't seem like there's that much detail. Obviously we don't see it lit up like this. I guess this was also lost to history along with uh, the Song of Ice and Fire prophecy yeah, uh, as to how to light up the painted table. Yeah, instead of lighting it, they paint it in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the true, probably lost to history. They have, don't just don't know about the technique. It's not something you would ever guess, you know? Really creative decision by whoever came up with that idea. Props to them, man. That's so cool. They're placing down swords, grabbing the pieces. Uh, props to the prop department. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But psh, nice one. So Rhaenyra enters and Damon gives her the full introduction. First of her name, Queen of the Andals, Lady of the Seven Kingdoms, which is cool to see the uh, the uh, introduction, the heraldry uh, switched up a little bit. For the first time ever. Yeah. <laughs> Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah. And everyone again bows their heads upon her introduction, except Rainey's, whose allegiance is yet undecided, and she remains in her armor, guarding her position closely. <laughs> Raina shows up asking the queen if she wants wine, as a dutiful cupbearer should. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they, they push the candles under the table, Every, and then there's this moment where everybody's just standing there waiting for Rhaenyra to take charge. And she's just been th through so much. And now she's got to be on point. This is her moment. She's still earning her position. You know, this is where she's got to show everybody that she's a boss. She's in charge. And she gets right to the, the tactics. What's our standing? And Damon is ready, spitting out things. We have 30 knights, 100 crossbowmen, 300 men-at-arms. And I'm like, oh my God, that's nothing. That's like nothing. How many, yeah. you know, the, at the Field of Fire, Balerion's oh, man. killed thousands. Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like all some of those armies were, were north of 10,000, like separate armies. The Reach Army, the Lannister Army from the West. Um, I remember in, in the books of of the main series where... I think the Starks are trying to muster, get their numbers up to 10,000 yeah. uh, total army size, you know, to face Tywin and, and his army. Yeah. So, I mean, different battles, there were smaller hosts than that, but total as Rob, we get some of the inside scoop on with through Kat's, Catelyn's um, POV chapters into some of Rob's war councils and stuff. Oh, yeah. But yeah, this is I mean, it is a small island. And, you know, he talks about how it's relatively easy to defend. But like he says, um, as an instrument of conquest, our army leaves a lot to be desired, which is a nice way to put it. A lot to be desired. <laughs> it's like the nicest way you could possibly put it. Basically, they're like a ragtag bunch of like handful of people, not even a bunch, a handful, a, not even a punch, a pinch, you know, like uh, Donnie Brasco. Instead of a pinch of salt, Al Pacino does a punch of salt. <laughs> There's like a whole bunch of salt into the soup, nice. the gravy that he's cooking up. And uh, so 
one of the, I think it's the Maester, is saying we already have declarations from Keltigar, Staunton, Massey, Darklin, and Bar Emmon. So they got word back pretty quickly from Bar Emmon and Darklin. And Rhaenyra mentions how her mother was an Aaron, Emma. May she rest in peace. And so the Vale will not turn cloak against their own kin. Emma's direct descendants. River Run, the Tullys, Lady Catelyn Stark's home, was a close friend to uh, Viserys. And so with Damon's permission, the maester already sent ravens to Lord Grover, whose family is Elmo and what's the other one? Oscar, I think. Oscar. <laughs> the Sesame Street Tullys. Yeah, hilarious. So funny. And um, so... Rhaenyra calls Lord Grover fickle and says that he's easily swayed. And they're using this word a lot too, because remember Rhaenys said it in the garden uh, as well. Um, our house, our house's word is not, not fickle, fickle or something like that. Yeah. Um, I was trying to remember, was there like a quick little glance between Damon and Rhaenyra when, when the maester says with Damon's acquiescence, I've sent ravens to Lord Grover. I think so. And she kind of looks over at him, but then stays on because. topic. Yeah, nothing was supposed to happen without her command. But yeah. obviously, Damon has continued to run things as he sees fit. Damon is like Rick James, man. He's a habitual line stepper, you know? percent, <laughs> 110%. 110%. And so uh, he announces that he is going to treat with, with uh, Lord Grover himself because they need to be convinced of the strength of their position, as Rhaenyra said and that they'll support him if it comes to war. Yeah, so um, then one of the Kingsguard knights, uh, Stefan Darklin, um, asks about Storm's End and Winterfell. And Bartimus Keltigar kind of seems like they're, besides Damon, you know, seems to be the, the next, you know, kind of in charge, or he's giving the most input as to far as the preparations for battle. You got these names down, bro. You're Ooh. like, boom, Bartimaeus, Keltigar. With Reyna, Baina, with Reyna, Bela, Lena, those I have the most trouble with, with the Valerian ladies. But Rhaenyra, Rhaenys, Melis, Caraxes, Tyraxes, we get his uh, that dragon's name. Uh, Meraxes from the Aegon's Conquest. Yeah. Um, some of the dragon names I struggle with sometimes, but for the most part, like these lords and ladies, as long as it's something just different, that's not like, you know, Lena, Bela, Reina. Uh, <laughs> My favorite dragon names are the Axes and the Vers, like Vermithor. That's the coolest one. Yeah, Vermithor is really cool. And then Caraxes, Maraxes. Those are cool ass names too. There's some really cool dragon names. Yeah, definitely fun to say. I think some of them were, were named after the old Valyrian gods or Valyrian. Oh yeah, that sounds right. Emperors or something, something like that. Like I can't that. remember. Um, and then Bartimus Keltigar uh, gives us some good Stark, uh, big Stark energons. Yeah. Uh, there has never lived a Stark who forgot an oath. And with how Stark the North will follow. The North Let's will go follow. Team North. Yeah. Team North. Um, and honestly, oh. I really can't remember. Like, I think I remember which way the North goes, but I really, I'm not sure uh, from reading the books, but, and, or the errands. It seems like, Obviously, and and I remember there was trouble at at, at um, Storms Inn, but I couldn't remember if it was with Boros, if he sided with Luke or not. But I remembered the after the fight afterwards. Um, but in the, as far as the show goes, um, we know that he seems to be favoring 
the greens, uh, which was yeah. kind of, you know, disappoint. obviously disappointing to me, but like, I was thinking that he, because of Boramund and the connection with Rainey's that he would go with the blacks, but he's hasn't. Lord Boros Galifianakis, as uh, Corey Eugene said. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. I saw the first part of that feedback. <laughs> Last High Gardener with a zinger. There's never lived a Stark who's forgotten an oath. So that was pretty cool. So good, dude. That was that was a great line. Just shows you like the honor of Stark, you know? I mean, he says that, and then Rhaenyra says, oh, the veil, the errands of the veil won't go against their own kin, and uh, Lord Boros Baratheon will need to be reminded of his father's promises. But as we see, that doesn't work out as far as the Baratheons go. Uh, yep. Hopefully, at, in the beginning of season two, we'll, I want to see some of Jace's travels to yeah, the Vale of Aaron and to, to Winterfell and to see how that goes. Man, it'd be so good to be back at Winterfell. Absolutely. We haven't gone anywhere North of King's Landing, I don't think. We've been to Driftmark, Dragonstone, and King's Landing. And we saw a little bit of Pentos with, with Damon and uh, Lena. And just a great hall girl. of Storm's End during the marriage tour. Yeah, Storm's End and Heron, a little tiny bit of Heron Hall. So we haven't gone north of Heron oh, yeah, Hall, Hall right. uh, this season. But, um, you know, definitely should be more, I think, expansive story, you know, ge- geography-wise next year or next year. Next season, you know. And with each one of these houses that they mention, they place a piece on the board, at least one, to describe what actions need to be taken in regards to them. So I love how this map table is playing a big role in this, you know? Like, it was just kind of in the background, something you have sex on every once in a while in Game of Thrones. <laughs> but in this, <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean, it Danny, has meaning. Right, and at the end of six, you know, Danny is sailing uh, west uh, across the narrow sea to Dragonstone, but then she gets there at the beginning of season seven, and there's a few different scenes with her and Tyrion and some of her advisors. Oh yeah, kind of looking at the map, looking at the painted table, and trying to decide what they're going to do. Shall we begin that scene where she's exactly. looking at the territory? Exactly how to how to conquer uh, the seven kingdoms but, all over like, again. <laughs> really getting really getting used now, like with lots of different people moving the pieces around. And it's really cool too. It's almost a character in and of itself. Yeah, it really is. It's really cool. So yeah, Rhaenyra talks about uh, Boros Baratheon will need to be reminded because it was Boromund Baratheon who was at the tourney in episode one. And I was going to ask you when still with young Rhaenyra, when we were at Storm's End and the fight broke out between the Blackwoods and Brackens, was that Boromund or Boros? That was Boromund. Who was with... Okay, so mm-hmm. OG Baratheon. Yep, yep. And then um, Rhaenyra kind of turns around and, and looks at uh, Rhaenys and says, what news from Driftmark? And so we learned that Corlys uh, sails for Dragonstone because before yes. the last time we had talked about them, he had left Evenfall, but Rhaenys wasn't sure where he was headed. But he's coming to Dragonstone and Damon kind of interjects to declare for the queen. Absolutely. To kind of <laughs> try to manifest, you know, his will as, uh, for <laughs> yeah. what needs to happen. Because if they can get the Valerian fleet, that is a huge, huge uh, strategic and tactical advantage that they have to have. They have to. Uh, to win the war. Um, 
the Valerian, uh, Rainey's kind of comes back to Damon. The Valerian fleet is in my husband's yoke, which is a cool way to say, you yeah. know, his, under his control, he decides where they sail. Lots of great verbiage this whole season. Oh yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's lots of cool vocabulary and vernacular for, for this time. Um, so Damon is kind of being a little bit push or a lot pushy with, uh, talking about the Valerians. Obviously Rainey's is right there. Um, and Rainey's kind of jabs him back a little bit verbally, but Rhaenyra is trying to keep the peace and like, we don't want to offend the people that we're trying to win to our side. So, so Rhaenyra tries to calm things down a little bit. We shall pray for both you and your husband's support, just as we pray nightly. She's reminding me, uh, they've prayed nightly for the sea snakes return to good health. Like we really care. Um, We hope you care about us too. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And obviously she restates the importance of the Valerian fleet. Nobody on the narrow sea would, would dare to, uh, to make an enemy out of the enormous. I want to see the, like Danny's fleet as she sails west at the end of six. I want to see the Valerian fleet in all its, like in glory. All its might. Yeah. yeah in all its glory. He's so um, sick. So, and the, is it Danny or? Yeah, I think it's Danny. Or I'm sorry, not Danny. Uh, Rhaenyra. <laughs> Targaryen queen. Man, that look at the end is like a Danny look. A mad Targaryen woman. Don't mess with them. Don't mess with um, them. Rhaenyra asking our enemies. Um, and then, is it Damon that says we have no friends among the Lannisters? Um, um, I think it's Damon who's, who's yeah, cause he talks about specifically about Thailand. Thailand has served Otto, you know, way too long to turn against him. Mm-hmm. And Otto obviously needs the Lannister fleet. But here's the thing about the Lannister fleet. It's on the wrong side of Westeros. Yeah. There is no, like the Viking, Viking, the Ironborn longships can kind of penetrate deep into the continent on the rivers. But there is no passage, you know, nor, uh, Northwest Passage to get through the continent, like the Panama Canal. They'd have to sail down around the Horn of Africa. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. All the way, all the way down by Old Town, around through Dorn, through the Broken Arm and the Stepstones, which we learn uh, is something really awesome has happened there later. Yeah. Um, but the Lannister fleet, I mean, they may, I'm sure they have some ships here and there, you know, but going back and forth to Pentos and Bravos and different places. But the strength of the Lannister fleet is mainly going to stay, you know, on the west side of Westeros, you know, near Lannisport and their other ports over there to always kind of be on guard against the reaving ways of the Ironborn. So, I mean, obviously a lot of time is going to pass for them to move, but if the narrow sea is totally controlled from the Stepstones north, then the Lannister fleet is... They'll get blockaded at the Stepstones and they're useless. Exactly. So that's, that's very important. Very. Um, but he does have a fleet. And the red, in the time of the original series, the Red Wines have the most formidable fleet uh, in as far from the Westerosi lords that are oh, always kind of fighting. Ironborn. Well, we, well, the Ironborn are basically anti-Westeros. They're always fighting and reaving oh, the yeah, Westerosi lords and ladies. So, but as far as the main lords and ladies, the houses of Westeros, the red wines are, have the fleet that everybody's trying to get and use for their, whatever's their war, basically. R.I.P. Um, Ryan Redwine. Yeah. OG, OG. Uh, Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. Um, so, you know, pretty interesting how the naval side of, of the war is going to play out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, then another person says, uh, without the Lannisters, uh, that they probably won't find any friends or allies west of the Golden Tooth, which I'm trying to remember 
if that's like a passage or, or just, just a, I think it's a place, like a fortress hmm. somewhere along the gold road or the West road, whatever yeah, I'm it's not called. Sure there, but it's a cool word, cool phrase. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's a battle or something near golden tooth um, where Rob there's whispering wood where Rob wins a victory and it seems like something else happens at golden tooth. Hmm. And, but maybe when, when uh, Rob's army is based at river run, there's some kind of trickery at play that Rob's trying to do, but somebody messes it up. I can't remember ah. the mountain or something. So anyway, go read the books. They're great. Yeah. Um, and they, so, read you know, the books. they, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, and Damon agrees that, you know, they're, they're definitely probably won't find any friends or allies west of gold, the golden tooth out there in the Westerlands. And, and Damon agrees with that. And he knows what every, Commander in Westerosi history knows the Riverlands are essential. Like everything, you know, the final battle with Robert and Rhaegar right there on the Trident. Right there at the Ruby Ford. Mm -hmm. That's where it all happened. Heron Hall was built there, you know, for a reason. You know, here, like Ty Tywin uses Heron Hall to house his host at different points. Choke point, right? Um, and then there and then further north at the Neck. Um, yeah, yeah. Where um, the Cranig men live, the Bog men. There's every everybody. You know the the, the houses from the south are going to come north. The northern houses are going to and the neck are going to come down. The houses from the east and west, from the the uh, the Vale and the Lannister Lannister lands, the Westerlands, they're all going to meet in the Riverlands. And the, the books do a really good job of showing how just ravaged and destroyed the Riverlands become through the course of the war um, between Rob and Tywin and Joffrey, you know, Joffrey, Tywin is fighting for Joffrey, but uh, it's, you know, Damon knows that if they can, you know, get a toehold, he actually says that word in a minute. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Instead of foothold. Um, yeah, foothold. Just, just so it's not even a toehold. It's a tiny, we just need a little toehold. Um, <laughs> Uh, to get to the in the Riverlands, but then uh, Keltigar kind of speaks up and says, uh, "Forgive me for being so blunt, Your Grace, but all this talk of men and armies, crossbowmen, knights, mounted knights, it means nothing compared to the dragons. The dragons. I'm like, for real. Like, let's go. Um, your cause owns a power that has not been seen in this world since the days of old Valyria. So many dragons. We got dragons on top of dragons on top of dragons. We got <laughs> dragons everywhere. And uh, fried Rhaenyra dragons, makes a wild good point. dragons, <laughs> dragon shrimp, <laughs> you know, Bubba Grump. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rainier makes a good point. Like, the greens have dragons as well. And one of them is might be unbeatable uh, unless you literally get like a five on one situation. Oh, um, God. Vagar is enormous. So they have three, but one of them is, is absolutely worth, yeah. you know, and we saw how easily Vagar took care of uh, Arax. So that's, it's crazy, dude. In this part, Damon is like, they have three adults by my count. And I'm like, uh, Damon, Vagar counts as like six adults, dude. The way Damon is yeah, underestimating Vagar here in the count is highly ominous to me. Potential foreshadowing of him underestimating Vagar in the future and it, you know, being problematic. Uh, I think so. Really, really, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, he... You know, he feels confident in their position, you know, which is true. They do have the numbers of dragons, but 
not all dragons are equal by a long shot. By a long and, shot. Uh, and they have Vermithor, which might be a kind of a secret weapon. He needs a rider, but nobody else really can compare. Oh. Even even Caraxes, I think, or Cyrax, uh, size wise and age and experience, yeah, not even close. I don't think can really contend with with just the size and power of Vagar. Are they going to get Reyna on Vermithor? They're going to like. I really, work I really think so. Somehow. I next really time think it'll so. be uh, you know Damon goes in singing his song, doing his jig, dancing. Next time it'll be. Damon and Reyna singing a duet, you know, yeah, <laughs> harmonizing right, yeah. with each other in counterpoint. Turn it, turn it into a little, a little music, a little mini musical inside of uh, Hot D yeah. season two. And she climbs on up, and he started. He starts kind of naming them, and uh, it was a pretty funny moment here. He says, uh, "We have Cyrax, Caraxes, and Melis, and Rainy, and still Rainy is hasn't declared any, hasn't declared <laughs> for anybody." And Rainey's like, does this look it's like do we have that's my dragon, son? What you talking <laughs> yeah, about? That's my but Damon is Damon is kind of assuming, you know, he's assuming that, oh, they the other side only has three adults, and we're assuming that Maylis is on our side. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just kind of keeps on going and and it was just a funny look of uh, that Rainey's kind of gave. It's like I uh, totally missed what? that. That's hilarious. That's my dragon. Yeah, it was really good. Um you know, they say your sons have Vermax, Arax, and Tyraxes, New which is one. the first time that we have uh, little baby Joss dragon. Bela has Moondancer. First which mention of that, too, right? Be, all these are pretty small. Vermax is bigger than Arax. Moondancer is probably bigger than Arax and Tyraxes. Um, I wish they would have said if, if Joffrey has claimed Tyraxes. Or if it's a hatchling. Riding it. Because if he's only six, we never really get the exact passage of time with Danny and how old the dragons are as in, in relation to how their size as the story. The story just kind of goes along and we go back to Danny and it's been like two years and the dragons are a little bit bigger and then they're a lot yeah. bigger and then they're huge. Um, so I, would, I wonder if Tyraxes is even if Joffrey has even ridden him yet. He seems small, but the 14 year olds are flying dragons to storms in in the middle of a thunderstorm so yeah anyway rhaenyra tries to kind of bring damon back down to reality a little bit <laughs> uh, damon none of our dragons have been to war uh and he says they're also unclaimed dragons sea smoke still resides on driftmark which if what we think we know about dragons is true sea smoke is going to be pretty useless unless i think unless Lenor comes back um, which is he's impossible. alive versus the books versus the books. They say he's like totally dead. But, so then sea smoke would be available too. there is speculation that Lenor may be another character in the books from some, from what I hear. Yeah, I've heard, yeah, I've heard a little bit about that too. So really interested to see what happens with that. Imagine that Lenor's triumphant return and like as like a deus ex machina in a battle where all seems hopeless and then sea smoke comes it, flying through. It's definitely possible. Lenor on top like, woo, pod racing. Woo, this is what I call dragon racing. Yeah. Uh, uh, on the fifth day, look to the east for my return. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, totally. Uh, Gandalf, Gandalf, Gandalf. X Mon sea smoke. Um Permithor and Silverwing dwell on the dragon mount, still riderless. And then there are three wild dragons, all of whom nest there on Dragonstone in the dragon mount, I assume. Uh, and But Rhaenyra with the key question, and who is to ride them? And it cuts to so, Reyna at this point, who's kind of like, ooh. Yeah, absolutely. Because her egg hasn't hatched. I wrote down, in my notes, I wrote down as he's naming Vermithor and Silverwing, right then the camera cuts to Reyna. 
Yeah. Before Rhaenyra asks uh, who is to ride them. Yeah, that sounds so right. So I, I think I think Raina, she may choose Silverwing because that was Queen Alysanne's dragon versus Vermithor. But if I was her, I'd choose the biggest, baddest dragon I could. Yeah. Plus, people should encourage her to because that's what we need. Yeah. If, if Vermithor has a little bit of size on Silverwing, I'd say go, go for that one, you know. It does. Who cares if it's the king's dragon or the queen's dragon? Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. from your great grandparents, just find the biggest dragon you can and learn how to fly that baby. As far as dragon names go, it does not get any cooler than Vermithor. It's like a mixture of vermin and Thor, the Norse god. Vermithor. <laughs> it's like the coolest, yeah. coolest name. Really cool. So, so yeah, I'm thinking maybe she'll choose Silverwing, but. Maybe because of its how it's beautiful or different stuff, but like I, I can't remember at all from the books who, if anybody gets Vermithor at all, who uh, Raina gets. I have that's, that'll be a total surprise to me. I don't remember at all, but oh. definitely. But any so, if Damon had illegitimate children running around Dragonstone, mm. they they might have blood of the dragon. If any other old like random other uncles and cousins in the Targaryen family, like all, you know, Alysanne and Jaehaerys, they had kids, they had kids everywhere. Oh. Uh, besides Viserys father and mother. So you could go on a recruiting um, tour around. The, so, uh, I mean, there could, I mean, the Targaryen, we're focused on this one little part of the Targaryen family tree because Viserys became king. And then it's all what's underneath him with Randy's kind of out here to the side, but there's a lot of other, potential dragon riders out there. I mean, the Celtigars, if they're from old Valyria, is that enough for them to be dragon riders or do they have to have the special Targaryen yeah. Valyrian? Well, not all, not all Valyrians were dragon rider families. Right. And, and the Valyrians that we know in this story that are dragon riders are Rhaenys children. So the, these Valyrians get their dragon rider blood from Rainey's Targaryen. Interesting, yeah. So they have a different last name because of the mother and the father and who was who. But anyway, probably the Celtigars are probably not going to be dragon riders. But hey, at least they're in the show. <laughs> crab people. Crab people. Crab people. Um, Let's see. Wild dragons. Dragonstone has 13 to their four. Yeah, Rhaenyra says, who is to ride them? And like Damon is answering none of her questions. <laughs> it's like, he just keeps talking faster. And she's the queen. And this is like the war council. Uh, Dragonstone. Oh, this script is kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. Oh, the transcript. Uh, Cause it says dragon's tone. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think it seems, almost seems like this script, somebody like voice to texted it. Yeah. That's what like, they, I'm pretty sure that's how it was done. Yeah. It doesn't speak uh, George R.R. R. Martin. Yep. Um, it's a transcript, not a script. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was writing uh, synopses of the, all the original books, like chapter by chapter. And my phone learned to like auto correct and like to give you the little suggestions for like Baratheon, Targaryen, Winterfell, all kind of crazy stuff. <laughs> my phone just suggests dirty things for me to type. <laughs> <laughs> That's all my phone yeah, there's, there's all these. Uh, anytime I type in H-A-R, even to this day on a different phone, but it's like been copied. Oh, right. The, all, you know how you can copy your iPhone to the new phone now. So all your like, settings it still and stuff are knows saved. A lot of the like hair, like it, 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 I say, I see it all the time. I don't know why to write this like H A R 
or H-A-R-R, is, is like, boop, Heron Hall with a capitalization and everything. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's I have a problem. My phone knows. <laughs> my, spo- my phone text, uh, predictive text, knows how to speak uh, a song of ice and fire. It's badass. But Dragon's Tone uh, has 13 to their four, which I was trying to figure, who's number four? Maybe Darren? Because Aegon, uh, I, I always forget their their dragon names, but we, we named them last week. So go back and listen to last week's episode. <laughs> Aegon has his. Uh, hey, they, oh, Helena has hers. Her name is the other one that I struggle Dream with. Dreamfire. And then Aemond obviously has uh, Vagar. But it's got to be baby Daron, who's in Old Town. He must yeah, have a hashtag. Because they say four. And I was like, I've been counting three. I was like, Allison ain't got one. <laughs> Otto ain't got one, we hope. Uh, bro. So I cannot remember what happens to Otto. Who I can't remember. That must mean all. he's going to survive and end up on the throne. No. Um, <laughs> Go team green. I just, <laughs> I really want to like, like how, I, how much I was rooting for Cersei to have a terrible demise. And I was disappointed with it. Oh, and see, that it. was my biggest was so good. disappointment in season eight was how easily she died. Oh, man. Oh, crushed by bricks. But, I mean, overall, I mean, I'm glad she died. But I thought it was so poetic. I really want to see what happens It was very poetic, but it wasn't brutal and die screaming. True. But pretty crazy. 13 versus four. And a score, like, I rewound that like four times. Did he say a dozen or three, a half dozen? He said a score. I always 20. forget a, what a score is. Is 20? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Four score and seven years ago is uh, 87. Four score and seven. Yeah. It's 87 years ago. <laughs> I always get um, score confused with Fortnite, which is two oh, weeks, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly. Yep. 14 days or, or two weeks. A score of eggs incubating in the Dragon Mont. Oh. Um, and here's where he says, now we need a place to gather a toehold. Large enough to house a sizable host and dragons. He didn't say that. Yeah. That toehold, you know, in the, the mainland of Westeros to a place to uh, basically be home base uh, for their uh, big enough to hold their dragons and a sizable host. Because right now their host, their army leaves a lot to be desired as an instrument of conquest. But they're trying to improve that if they can get the north. Behind them, it's a good place for the the north the northern army to come down the King's Road through the neck down to Harrenhal and uh, meet up with uh, the black ho- uh, the existing black host. Uh, so Harrenhal is is Damon's first choice of uh, the place that they want to kind of set up shop, um, and it cuts off the west and kind of surround. They can that way they can keep the Western Lannister armies away from King's Landing and uh, surround King's Landing with the dragon. Um, and Damon, Damon has this all gamed out and played out. And uh, he said, we can have every green head mounting, mounted on spikes before the moon turns. <laughs> and you know Which, me, I, mean, I guess I love those spikes. So I was all for that. <laughs> Go ahead. Heads on spikes, heads on spikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm thinking they're talking about, uh, he's talking about a full turning of the moon. So basically a month or is it, you think enough half of that from it to turn to full to a new moon? Yeah. Good question. Is it I think it a means, month at most. Moon, right. Yeah. Right. I think they mean the full, like from wherever it is now, yeah, all the way to the opposite and back, meaning a full turning of the moon. Oh yeah. That makes so, sense. 
I think, or otherwise, otherwise I'd say a fortnight if it was just two weeks. True, so, true, true. But it, I mean, it's going to take a month to get the armies in place. Um, I love this part. They can do a lot with the dragon, but the uh, the greens have dragons too, so they need the land. The the I'm trying to think of another way to say the land army. Ground forces. The ground forces to, you know, be in place to to see to besiege King's Landing. Yeah, and since there are dragons at play on both sides, they need to be extra strategic about the whole situation. I freaking love this, dude. Damon's got the whole thing gamed out. Like you said, he's got all the angles. He's got the, got the plan. I'm like, woo, go Damon! Heads on spikes. Um, this is what. This is what he was figuring out while Rhaenyra was uh, trying to give birth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, and also, he's clearly speaking out of turn since uh, since this is Rhaenyra's moment, you know, and she's she's growing more frust- frustrated with him every time this happens, and and um, he's as he steals her momentum, you know, she sits there and she's like, it's like she's about to open her mouth, and then Damon starts speaking, and blah blah blah, and everyone's paying attention to him. And, um, you know, I was watching an interesting video last night by this guy, Blurredly, on YouTube, who broke down the Damon situation really well. And um, remember how I was saying that Damon is, has difficulty handling emotional stuff? Like when we saw him, when he showed up at Viserys' bedside, and it, he hesitated before even entering past the, the, um, the dangling, sh- the, the curtain, and... He hesitates before passing through the curtain and actually approaching Viserys in his, his ill state. And it was really hard for Damon to handle that. I, I, this is the way I perceived it based on his acting. And he, he, instead of addressing the emotional situation head on he jumps straight into why they're there we you know we need you to make your claim for Rhaenyra and Rhaenyra was like what are you serious you know but um so Damon I think is is highly emotional and he has to hide this by refusing to confront certain things head on otherwise he risks breaking down in front of everybody which he can't have because he has to maintain his uh his his public persona essentially and so as i learned from this video i had forgotten this damon's mother and this is this plays into why particularly he was so uh hesitant to be in in the birthing chamber and why he wouldn't talk about it wouldn't think about it wouldn't address her wouldn't answer her calls scolded sir laurent for even suggesting about it with with this snarl um damon's mother dialed during childbirth uh did you say dialed? <laughs> Damon's mother died during childbirth, uh, one of his younger siblings. And so he was traumatized by that experience from early on in childhood. And then Viserys' wife died in childbirth, further traumatizing Damon because he saw Viserys's visceral reaction to that. And then Lena died during childbirth. <laughs> well, got roasted by a dragon when the baby wouldn't come out close enough. And so now who who he'd been angling for Rhaenyra the whole time because he really loved Rhaenyra. And so now the idea that Rhaenyra could, could die in childbirth as well. It's like, it's too much for him to even handle. He can't handle it. So he, he, he refuses to, to confront the emotional, uh, 
situation head on and he just has to go straight into the planning because otherwise he, he might just smash into a bazillion pieces effectively he has uh so in in the book version it's it's a little bit unfortunate in the tv show they didn't really accentuate how much he loved lena apparently in the books he doted on her a lot and when she got is having this problem with the birth. He flew all around and gathered up the, as many macers as he could and attached them to his dragon and flew back to Dragonstone where uh, I think, I think that's where she was at this point where he flew back to where Lena was only to find her dead before he could get the help that he needed. And yeah. uh, so it really affected him like the danger of the birthing bed he has extreme PTSD over this, these types of situations. So um, basically he's really emotionally fragile, which you wouldn't guess from his steely exterior, but that's the point. He's trying to preserve that steely exterior to, to maintain his public image of being a big badass. And uh, I think it's embarrassing to him that he's actually like a, you know, somewhat emotional, emotionally fragile. And so, uh, after the birth, remember, he goes out and he sort of has his breakdown on the beach. He he finally allows himself to feel and he gets away from everybody around him. So there aren't any witnesses and he just loses his shit on the beach. Um, thankful that Rhaenyra is alive, but, you know, sad. He, now he's lost a mother, a wife, a sister-in-law and a child to the birthing bed. And uh, it's just, you know, it's really hard for him. And so he... He just has to handle it his own way. And um, thanks to Blurredly for pointing that out on YouTube. It is a really good video. I recommend his channel. Yeah. It, if anything, that his scene where he, he goes in to see Rhaenyra, but she's she's sitting there and she's well, but obviously, the, you know, the baby was stillborn. And but he can't even go to her in that moment. Uh, so he, you know, he goes out down to the to the beach and 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 breaks down and if anything that was like they didn't show enough of that i don't think they i mean it was a very quick little sequence where yeah. he walks out to the beach and then he's standing there with a sword and then onto the next scene so if the scene had lingered there a little bit more and I mean, his distress Exactly. If you're paying Matt Smith, so <laughs> let, let, and I'm sure they filmed more and tons of stuff gets left on the, the cutting room floor yeah. as the, the editing process happens. But man, just even if it's like 10 or 20 more seconds of Matt Smith, just, you know, in despair. Yeah, it was a short there, enough you know, episode. Crying and yeah. And yeah, it was only like an hour and 10 or 11 minutes. So, not even. It was not 59 minutes. Oh, I thought maybe last week wasn't. I, I thought there was one uh, that was an hour and ten or hour and eleven somewhere in there. Something, but still, <laughs> anyway, they. I mean, that definitely gives you know a lot of insight and background, you know, into Damon and the issues that he has and the way he deals with them is just retreating with you know internally into himself and keeping all all of it pent up. You know, He's until just trying he, to hold it together. You know, <laughs> right until he you know just chokes his wife and it's like bros chill out you need to find another uh, <laughs> avenue to vent your frustrations whether it's beating up a messenger or something else yeah very anakin of him no let's go demon <laughs> the, um, is it sir laurent marbrand that comes in with the news about the uh 
a lone galleon flying a banner of a three-headed dragon. It's Eric, because as Damon is explaining uh, the the okay. the tactical situation and how they can surround King's Landing and get the heads on spikes, uh, this is when some dude wearing a, a gambeson, which is <laughs> that under under armor type of uh, shirt thing with the quilted leather. Um, I had initially been thinking jerkin, which is what you had thought also in our chat, but right. Sir Matthew pointed out that it's called a gambeson. So I was right about it starting with a G, but wrong about what I thought it was. <laughs> so it was just yeah, I was thinking like was right. G jerkin, J yeah. jerkin, you know, they have that, both have that same sound. I guess mm -hmm. a jerkin is more just like a tight fitting, usually leather sleeveless kind of a vest. But yeah. Without anyway. the padding and stuff. Pretty cool. But yeah. So this, if they're going to go forward with this uh, heraldry, this uh, a change from the books, because in the books, Aegon's, Aegon 2 here, uh, his sigil is a golden dragon on a black field, as oh, opposed right. to the traditional, the traditional Targaryen sigil red. of uh, a red dragon. I say a, dra a three-headed dragon on a black field. Um, so, uh, we were thinking in the live maybe, or I don't mean you chatted about it or something, but that maybe this is just auto ship that has a three headed green dragon. But if he's coming as an envoy of King Aegon, why would he not use King Aegon's her, uh, new gold dragon heraldry? And we saw that, that gold dragon heraldry on the background at the coronation mm -hmm. and his, his, uh, outfit was mostly black, but when the light hit it a certain way, it looked kind of golden or bronzish the dragon on his chest. So yeah, interesting confusing. that Otto comes here in under the flying a banner of a three headed green dragon. Yeah. I was thinking maybe it's me. like the hands individual Targaryen logo well, because sigil, of the kind of mini sigil. But green is not green. technically a high tower color. It's just their war color. So it's interesting. Like you said, it's, it's strange. Uh, back to Damon just for a split second. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you, the, how you were saying, it's unfortunate they didn't show more of his breakdown on the beach. It's also unfortunate they didn't show more of the dynamics with um, with Lena and his two daughters with her because apparently he's he really likes them you know, a lot more, it seems, in the books. And they kind of left out a lot of the emotional connection between them in this. And so it, 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 only, it makes him seem a lot more callous than he uh, potentially is. But, uh, you know, he's like, yep. <laughs> he's really just on the verge of breaking down and has to emotionally wall himself off and just think about something else. Think about something else. We got men over here. We got dragons here. We can, so, you know, it's pretty brutal. Um, and, you know, at this news, Damon is, you know, again, he's already on high alert. Yeah. But he's like, all right, alert the watchtower, sight in the skies. They're looking for dragons, looking for an attack. He's assuming they'll, they're all attacked by stealth, if anything. Yep. But this could obviously just be, uh, uh, a distraction, a diversion for, you know, some other nefarious plots yep. uh, by the Greens. So he wants everybody on high alert as uh, they go out to meet Otto Hightower. And again, as Damon speaks up immediately, giving orders, Rhaenyra is left silent and overlooked. And the camera cuts on her as the scene ends. And she's just standing there kind of looking around as as everybody's following Damon's orders and she doesn't say anything as he stepped in front of her effectively, not physically, but spoke out over her voice to, uh, to start issuing commands immediately. Yeah. And so next it cuts to showdown version two on the Dragonstone bridge. 
just like the last time after Damon had stole the egg with the with Otto and the King's Guard and some soldiers walking along up the bridge and Damon and coming maester, down from the, the Grand side. Maester. Oh yeah, Orwiles with him. True. Yeah, always bringing the Grand Maester. I think the show puts him in certain points so that it makes sense that the history books knew oh. about this encounter and wrote about it. There you go. That makes perfect sense. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. Because uh, Grandmaster Melos was at the first encounter and now Orwell is here. So interesting that the Maesters come along to these. And we we had heard that Damon, that Damon's wife was, that he was planning on marrying Missaria and she was pregnant. Something the Maester would have heard by being at that confrontation on the bridge in the first place. Yeah. So, so, so Damon and, and his guys uh, to include uh, three uh, Kings guard, now Queens guard, are uh, on his side of the bridge and Otto walks up and I, on the rewatch, I was trying to watch pretty closely. I only see one King's guard on Otto's side with a Magneto helmet and the rest look to me to just be, you know, regular men at arms. Could you tell if there was an, so I don't think Crispin was here. Yeah. I don't think he was either. Um, he's probably guarding Allison. Um, I did not, I don't recall exactly what the situation was on the bridge. Um, yeah, I missed the exact head count. <laughs> so, yeah, so if, if Stefan Darklin, Laurent Marbrand, and E. Eric Cargill were there with Damon, that's three. And if A. Eric was there on the other side with Otto, that's four. Crispin makes five. Harold Russelling makes six. So there's one more Kingsguard that we haven't met at all. Um, this year, but that pretty much accounts for everybody because Harold Westerling is in the wind. Crispin is with uh, with his girl Allison, and uh, and the but the two twin brothers are on opposing sides of the bridge here. So yeah. that was, was pretty pretty uh, impactful, and you know potentially, fr- I mean, frightening. And you know, like they talk about the American Civil War, brother fought brother, father fought yeah, son. Exactly, it's pretty crazy here that uh, the Greens and the Blacks have split up the Cargill Cargill twins. Yeah, there's one moment where I think um, Damon says, "Sir Eric, bring me Sir Otto, so that I can have the pleasure myself." And I think then it cuts to Eric on the other side, who's like, "Oh," and readies himself for potential conflict with his brother. It's like, "Oh my God, dude, that's so intense!" Crazy. Yeah, I think that probably must be a you know a U.S. Civil War reference. That's what I was thinking as well. Um, Otto says, I come at the behest of the Dowager Queen Allison. So I think that's the name, the title that I had come up with last week. Yeah. So we talked about Regent. Um, but since she had uh, lost, she, she's now a widow um, and the king had died. So Dowager Queen um, Allison, <clears throat> mother of King Aegon, second of his name, titles, 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 titles. <laughs> um, he's been told to only deliver his message directly to Princess Rhaenyra. Well, that's impossible. So right, and, and I love her line when when he try when Otto tries to to uh, spit that nonsense here in a minute. Uh, I'm Queen Rhaenyra now. Yeah. <laughs> she just, just just says it so plainly, and uh, Otto says, "Where is the princess?" And Damon just kind of stands there looking, and right on cue. But in this case, Cyrex has as her rider right on cue. Cyrex you know, swoops down and it seems like she does an extra lap around everybody that yeah. she did in because uh, her intro in uh, episode two was they were kind of underneath the clouds and oh, kind of yeah. swooped up over everybody Misty. and then circled around and landed. I think this time she kind of did an extra little 
the domin the domination lap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you've been dominated. Um, <laughs> and the one thing I, if I was princess Rhaenyra, the one thing I would have done is I would have had Maylis, uh, the biggest dragons that I could probably Maylis and Vermax continually circling this whole encounter. She comes in and flies around with Cyrax, probably the biggest one. Well, maybe least I guess it's probably bigger than Keep Cyrax. Anyway, circle around. Uh, she lands behind them again. Uh, and this in the in episode two, Rhaenyra was on Otto's side trying to bring Damon to heel. Yeah, she lands behind him and walks up through the crowd of allies towards Damon. Right. And now she lands behind them and Cyrax is just <sighs> super intimidating, even more like angry and, and just just pissed off than uh, Cyrax was in episode two. Oh, yeah. And now she walks through a whole host of enemies, traitors <laughs> to the realm, she calls them. Extreme uh, in a, in a power here. move within sword yeah, range. With you know? Yeah, exactly. With Viserys' crown on her head. Yeah, like you um, wouldn't which dare Otto's touch probably me gotta with be like, Cyrax there. Exactly. Otto's got to be like, wait, what? Oh, that's Viserys' crown. How? What? Yeah. How did he? He probably puts get it that? together as he, yeah, as he sees E. Eric on the other side. He probably figures that he looks at Eric and he doesn't say say it. But he, oh, sorry, go ahead. Didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, I think you know he he probably sees Eric over there and figures that's probably how Rhaenys got out of the Red Keep. And how the crown got stolen. Yeah, yeah, he didn't say it, but I imagine him looking at Eric and be like, I told you to bring the the, the prince to me, you bastard. And now he just abandoned us completely. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> and uh, he, he's, you know, they're probably considering like, oh, we, we could take her out and end the claim of the blacks entirely. We could completely eliminate their claim, you know. Uh, well, I guess it would move to... Uh, Jaceiris, so no, I guess it wouldn't. But it would cost them their lives, even if they tried to, because the second they come down on her with steel, they're met with dragon fire from just the Cyrax is just itching. Yeah, itching for say fire. It, yeah. Get, like Damon, say it. Just give me a say reason. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. give me a reason. Um, so then, um, Otto greets her, Princess Rhaenyra. I'm Queen Rhaenyra now, and uh, and you are all traitors to the realm. <clears throat> uh, Otto, you know, continue, you know, continues to call him King Aegon, second of his name, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I had a funny uh, little reaction here. But I'm Queen Rhaenyra now. I heard I'm the captain now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they need to put Rhaenyra on the on that meme that says I am the queen now. Um, but Otto, Otto is telling, you know, is acting like he's coming in good faith. Um, King Aegon in his wisdom and desire for peace, which we know he's just a twat. So they're, you know, they're giving him all these uh, traits and characteristics that are just from he and Allison, mostly Allison. Yeah, exactly. Is offering terms, acknowledge him as kings or obeisance before the Iron Throne. And in exchange, his grace will confirm your possession of Dragonstone, which is, you know, again, like Allison promising uh, Driftmark to Rainey's last week, they already have Dragonstone and they have 13 dragons to defend it. So whether you confirm is their possession or not, and I get it, they're just, that would be if they chose peace instead of war, that we'll you would just keep be re, exactly reconfirming that. Um, it will pass to your trueborn son, Jaceris, upon your death. So he's trying to, to be kind 
about it. Obviously, we know Allison and Otto don't believe that. that right. He said Trueborn's Trueborn sons. Um, and Luke will be confirmed as the legitimate heir to Driftmark and all with all of its lands and holdings. Um, and your sons by Prince Damon will be given places of high honor at court. Hostages. Squire and cupbearer. Exactly. <laughs> Hostages to make sure <laughs> that... Uh, that y'all don't uh, act a fool out here at Dragonstone. <laughs> Finally, the king and his good grace will pardon any knight or lord who conspired against his ascent. Um, <laughs> which I wonder if that would include Kingsguard. I mean, I'm sure they would be still sent to the wall instead of killed, but there's yeah, no way they probably. would continue to to trust a Kingsguard who had sworn chosen Rhaenyra. Yeah, definitely. I would say. It was, I mean, it was sworn to Viserys. Yes, it was sworn. They were all sworn to Viserys. So, I mean, in their defense, and like what Harold Westerling said, my authority comes from the king. So, until there's a king, you know, holla at your boy. I'm gone. Um, <laughs> which they do crown Aegon, but obviously that is a complete, you know, joke and a, and a usurpation. But, I mean, I wonder if, uh, if now that they have actually crowned Aegon king, if that would change Harold Westerling's thinking any. Because, Harold was there as they were plotting to install Aegon against Viserys's wishes, but and admitting it was it, a was plot. it just the plotting, right? Was it just the plotting that in the interim that bothered Harold, or like the actual usurpation that? Bothered? I mean, I'm sure it was both. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I really want to see what happened. What happens with Harold Westerling in season two? Where he ends up? Yeah. Very much. It's, it's, I'm excited to see that too. And it makes sense that they don't, would only send one Kingsguard with the auto here because if they only have three in Harold's absence, they need to retain as many as possible to protect the royal family, quote unquote, at the Red Keep. So, uh, you know, I'd thought, oh, maybe they sent all two or three. No, just send one because you need to keep the other two close by the king and the queen dowager, the dowager queen. Absolutely. Um, and before Rhaenyra can even respond to again. the terms, you know, Damon, you know, jumps, uh, jumps in again and a pretty epic line. I would rather feed my sons to the dragons than have them carry shields and cups for your drunken usurper cunt of a I'm, king. I'm sure you can relate. <laughs> oh man, that is <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you're matched, if your wife is the, cho it was the real chosen heir. And then here come these just absolute scoundrels coming in, stealing her birthright. Yeah, I, I would, you know, I'd have no part in sending my sons off to court to serve that. Yeah, totally. And this is the part where he kind of admits, you remember, like you, you, you mentioned, he's like um, pretending to act like this is legitimate, like giving all the titles and saying, oh, you know, it'll pass your true bones. This is when he kind of admits that, they know that that they stole it. He says, Aegon sits the Iron Throne, wields the Conqueror's crown, wields the Conqueror's sword, has the Conqueror's name, uh, was anointed by the Septon, a Septon of the Faith before the eyes of thousands. And he says, every symbol of legitimacy belongs to him. That's like a, an admission that he's not really yeah. legitimate, but every symbol of legitimacy belongs to him. Who says then there's Stark Charlie Baratheon? Also him. Is that Otto? Yep. So here we like this. We're finally we're at the end. We see uh, Stark in the end of episode one as he swears fealty. And I think uh, Boros Baratheon or like 
Boros or Boromond, the, the father, Boromond, yeah. Boromond Baratheon, as they swear their uh, allegiance to Rhaenyra as heir. Um, but other than that, we haven't gotten very much, you know, Stark, Tully, or Baratheon action this year. A little bit with with uh, Boromond as uh, Rhaenyra was uh, flying about the kingdom and sailing about the kingdom looking for suitors. Boromond reminds but, me of Tormund, the, the, the name. Sorry, it just popped nice. into my head. <laughs> they... Um, so they mention them here and then they again at some in some of Rhaenyra's war councils that some of the uh, OG Lords Paramount um, from the books and the original series are going to be more involved in season two as uh, the how as the blacks and greens vie for oh, their yeah, allegiance. Um, there is Stark, Tully and Baratheon houses that have also received and are at present considering generous terms from their king. And then she says, Stark, Tully, Baratheon all swore when King Viserys named me his heir. And uh, a good point here by Otto, but I mean, nicely worded still. Too. Yeah, stale oaths should mean something. But like like the Lannister, you know, twat says and Boros ends up saying um, those old oaths. You know, I didn't make that oath. My father made that oath. Yeah. Um, By definition, an states. oath should never be stale because an oath is like yeah, a lifetime thing, you know? That's it. It's your it's your bond. But he's making but he calls them stale oaths. Like, you know, those yeah, words stale. were said a long time mm-hmm. ago, babe. Yeah, lots has happened, generations Toots. have passed. Um, stale oaths will not put you on the iron throne, princess. Again, he continues to call her princess. The succession changed the day your father sired a son. I only, re- I only regret that you were the and he were the last to see the truth of it. So brutal. I mean, this you know that's in a lot of people's mind, in a lot of lords' mind, and around the Seven Kingdoms. That's true. It yeah. did change. Remember that even when, you even had that when, line earlier on in the season. That was before Egon when he was talking with Alicent. Yeah, and when he when. Uh, when Otto's older brother Hobart was talking to him in episode two or three at the Royal hunt, he's already trying to get Otto to push Viserys to name Aegon. And he's like heir. proclaiming Aegon, the, the second of his name, second as they're of exiting his name. the carriage, planting the seeds and the, the, any of the hosts that are there to join the, the hunt. Yeah. So from Otto's perspective, you know, him and his brother and the other Lords that are siding with the greens, they saw this. As soon as Viserys had a son, but now Viserys and Rhaenyra were the last ones to see the truth of it. And he, I was not expecting this at all. Rhaenyra just marches up to him. You are no more hand than Aegon is king. Takes his handpan right off of him without even a move from uh, Otto and flings it off the bridge into oblivion. I love that. <sighs> I wonder if they have extra of those. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like well, clearly the production company does, but you know, it's like is that right. something you keep more than one of around in case something happens? Are they going to have to remember how it was designed and have? <laughs> I mean, probably not. They probably have to employ the uh, blacksmiths or silversmiths uh, to make a new one, but just put a foot on it this time for Larry. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. <laughs> Since Damon was using the word toehold. Maybe he watched that pre- the last episode of House of the Dragon and was just so disturbed by Laris and the feet oh, that, he, <laughs> that he, instead of saying foothold, he he's say just foothold. Yeah, because, you know, he has trouble confronting emotional situations head on. The toehold, that's just as traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You are no more hand than Aegon is king. He takes it and just chucks it off the bridge. Drops Fucking another F-bomb. traitor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you traitor. 
Uh, and now Otto kind of pulls out the, the ace up his sleeve. Grandmaster and Damon is sick of it. His hand is still on the hilt of his sword, you know, in that classic Damon pose. Uh, what the fuck is this? And he doesn't even like really say what the, what the fuck he just says, fuck is this? (laughs) It seems like. Right. Yeah. In the script. Yeah. It says the, the, what the, but yeah. And probably as they went through the rehearsals, they're like, this would be a little bit more powerful to say it this way. Fuck is this? Um, Greens are dropping mad F bombs or the blacks are dropping mad F bombs here. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're mad, man. So, um, so Otto gets the little rolled up page from, Grandmaster Orwell and hands it to Rhaenyra. And as Rhaenyra unfolds it, you can kind of see the the sadness, the just what could have been uh, kind of go across Rhaenyra's face. That's, you know, that page she tore out of the history book way back in episode one, yep. where her and Allison were talking in the Godswood. And uh, it's the page that talks about Nymeria. Fuck and, the scepter. Um, <laughs> that's it, yeah. The um, the page talks about you know being being lashed together, which was kind of how Allison and Rhaenyra were as they were you know teenage girls. They were just joined at the hip, great friends. Um, And then you know some people were saying that kind of the hidden message or undertone of this page was about how Nymeria burned her most her most powerful weapon, the fleet that brought them from Essos to Dorne. As a statement that um, we're, we're staying here, we're here to stay. As a statement that exactly, they're not going, they're not fleeing anywhere else. This is their home now. They're going to make this home and they did. But I think Allison sending this is sort of, is hoping that Rhaenyra will not use her most powerful weapon against Allison and Aegon, her dragons. Interesting. Yeah, I forgot to pause and read it. <laughs> and that they will choose, you know, Allison is hoping that Rhaenyra will choose peace, you know, instead of war and not use her her most deadly destructive weapon against them. Obviously, the Greens have dragons as well, but it, it it's going to get very ugly if if dragons are roasting armies and roasting each other and fighting, you know, these aerial battles. It's going to be crazy. Dragon dog but fights. Allison chose this. Allison chose this when she chose to put Aegon on the throne. I get it. She had this conversation with Viserys where she thinks she's carrying out his will. But she may not have had much of a choice, though, because they probably would have locked her up. We're so, right. Because, yeah, Otto and Otto and Lannister and company were were already moving forward with this anyway, man. Such a crazy situation. Yeah. And it, you can see they really have been because they already sent word to Tully and Stark and everything. And uh, they had these plans set up in advance and they used that two days before Rhaenys escaped and made her way to Dragonstone to send the ravens or dragons to every place they need to and orchestrate the extremities of the coup, you know? As Otto hands that page to Rhaenyra, he, he tells her, Queen Allison has not forgotten the love you once had for each other. No blood need be spilled so the realm can carry on in peace. Queen Allison eagerly awaits your answer. And again, Damon jumps in again. <laughs> she can have her answer now. Stuffed in her father's mouth along with his withered cock. <laughs> let's, end this, <laughs> let's end this mummer's farce. Uh, Sir Eric... I believe this is where he uh, draw uh, Damon draws swords yeah. first again, just Everybody. like in episode two. 
So in episode two, they came to swords again. Yeah. I mean, they didn't clash, but everybody drew swords in episode two and they do here again. Sir Eric, bring me Lord Hightower so I may take the pleasure myself. So he is going to castrate Otto Hightower, the fake hand of the king. Oh, right. Just like the, the, the rapist when he was on the, the city watch. In the premiere. Yeah, on the chopping block. He loves Absolutely. Cyrax wieners. goes crazy. <laughs> wiener, wiener, wiener. Start. <laughs> Cyrax starts roaring and uh, as they, as they uh, everybody draws swords um, and Rhaenyra stops the madness. No, King's Landing will have my answer on the morrow. And now what happens later in the episode, I'm wondering if that answer will be Spoken with fire. I am wondering also. And uh, interestingly, since he, Damon says, Sir Eric, bring me Lord Hightower so I can take the pleasure myself. I think at that moment it cuts to Sir Eric, who's behind Hightower, who kind of grabs for his sword and in, you know, fear that he may come to blows with his brother. And uh, Sir Matthew of House Rep sent us some interesting information that apparently some bard named Lucien of Tarth had written a sad ballad about when the Cargill twins met on opposite sides at Dragon at Dragonstone when the terms of surrender were delivered to Rhaenyra called Farewell, My Brother. And so this is like kind of a moment in the lore where these two brothers turn against each other and uh, wow. legendary type of stuff, just like the Civil War. There's uh, one of the one of the Ramin Jawadi songs from season four, three, four, or five is called "Farewell, Brother," and it's oh, like a stark theme. It's the stark theme with the violins and cellos, but like even more sad and melancholy. <laughs> um, and but the title of Ramin Jawadi's, you know, that piece is "Farewell, Brother." Mm, so I'm wondering if he. That. Right. If he got that phrase, that name from this uh, Lucian Barth in back in Westeros history and used it, you know, to name this piece of music, because I think it was when Rob, maybe when John found out that Rob had been killed or something. I can't remember when that piece is in the show. Lucian of Tarth. You said Lucian Barth. Just, <laughs> just. Oh, know. sorry. Ba the Bard, Lucian of Tarth. Um, Beautiful. Pretty wild. Um, does Cyrax take Does Cyrax take off, or this the scene just kind of end? Um, well, Rhaenyra says no, and Damon kind of looks at her like, "What are you fucking serious?" And she kind of glares at him, and then after like he doesn't immediately um, relent. You know, but then eventually after she glares at him, he he does relent and he lowers his sword and puts his hands on it like he does and just tilts his head forward like like C-3PO shutting down. <laughs> you know, like he's out of commission for the moment. And uh, oh, nice. I was like, oh, man, for once somebody did handle Damon. She she handled him. Yeah. He yeah, submitted to her he will. He, you know, Damon has, has sort of been a little bit uh, disruptive and trying to take control of situations within the Council of the Blacks. But here, where the Greens are, you know, coming with terms, like he cannot treat Rhaenyra with disrespect. Mm -hmm. They have to be united 
behind Rhaenyra. United so front for the he, enemies. You know, he doesn't want to, but he does you know, listen to and obey to what she says and uh, puts his sword down. And I think this moment really pisses him off because he sees an opportunity to strike a huge blow, taking out a Kingsguard, taking out the hand. Otto is the strategic mastermind behind this whole situation. If they can get rid of him, it would be really good for their war effort. And so the Absolutely. scene, uh, yeah. the scene where he Bart Simpson's Rhaenyra, why Yada, you know, choking uh, like Homer Simpson choking her. Um, I think that this all that frustration, yeah, this a lot of frustration in that moment comes from this being forced to stand down when it's like a golden opportunity for their cause. Um, but like Renice says to Corliss, it's the only thing holding the realm together and preventing all out preventing all out war at this point is is Rhaenyra, you know, who's refusing to start the war herself. I think next they're um, they're back around the painted table with uh, with all the lords and cupbearers and knights, and uh, Damon's continuing to strategize and discuss the the war. He says it's no easy thing for a man to be a dragon slayer, even though we know Jamie Lannister was going to try. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you idiot. You fucking idiot. You idiot, you fucking idiot. <laughs> but dragons can kill dragons and have. Uh, simple truth is we have more dragons than Aegon. But what that begs the question, how many dragons is Vagar going to kill before... Vermithor, Caraxes, or Cyrax, or maybe Silverwing. Like those are the four that could possibly, but even then, it's going to need to be a team up against Vagar. But how many little dragons is Vagar going to kill in the meantime to even oh, to more even the odds? It's pretty, pretty horrific. Even um, one is too many. Ugh. And Rhaenyra comes back at Damon. Viserys spoke often of the Valyrian histories. I know them well. When dragons yes. flew to war, everything. Burned. Everything burns. Everything burns. And when Alfred says, some men just want to watch the world burn. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what was it, Can't Danny, that. that said, I don't, I don't want to rule over uh, a kingdom of ash it's, and bone? Like, isn't that she basically it's, it's said the same close, line? It, exactly. It's, it's not the exact same line. It's pretty close. Um, a queen of ashes. Says, or... yeah, I don't want to be queen over the ashes, I think, is, is maybe what she says to Tyrion or... Varys or Masande, somebody in as she's plotting her conquest of Westeros. Mm. Um, somebody asked Rhaenyra, "Are you considering the High Tower's terms?" Uh, I guess it's Lord Bartimus. Uh, as queen, what is my true duty to the realm, Lord Bartimus, to ensure peace and unity, or that I sit the Iron Throne no matter the cost? Well, it depends on how you interpret the prophecy, you know. Right. Right. If, you know, must a Targaryen sit it? Absolutely. Aegon's a Targaryen, so maybe she could take the terms and pass the prophecy on to Aegon and live out her days on Dragonstone. Keep the realm united for the greater good. You know, that's what she's thinking. Like, you maybe know? the greater good is her stepping down and just letting the realm coalesce behind Aegon to keep the peace and to keep a united front because any day the darkness could come from the north, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's the prophecy is is weighing on her mind about what's the best way to move forward. Obviously, she and Damon, you know, want the throne um, and it's, it's hers, you know, by birthright and by 
said presidential proclamation by <laughs> the king by the king's proclamation by executive order. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, ultimately, she's she's weighing absolutely what is best for the realm. Like Allison last week, you know, a true queen counts the cost to her people. Yeah, exactly. And just the cost of the war in the here and now, but right as when the realm is most divided is you know when the enemy, you know, the unknown white walkers might attack. So yeah. she's thinking about, you know, what's the absolute best thing for the realm. And speaking of Damon, this line of, of thought is not pleasing him at all. And he shoots back at her. That's your father talking. My father is dead and he chose me as his successor, which is kind of like a straight up dig at Damon. You were his brother, but he chose me, this a girl. To be his successor. He's getting his choking hand ready at this point. Oh, man, yeah. Like, he's already like, <laughs> doing his grip, grip. Don't remind me of my problems with my brother. I miss him. Yep. Yeah. He chose me as his successor to defilm the realm, not cast it headlong into war. Will the enemy have declared war? And what are you going to do about it? Bro, and he's he, stepping like, out of line. That is straight up. Yeah, that is like straight up. Uh, disobedience or almost rebellion against not rebellion as far as like a war, but in the moment, like you Near can't mutiny. speak this way. Yeah. Mutiny is a good way to put it. You can't speak this way to the queen in front of everybody. And she, she doesn't enter. She doesn't get down in the mud with him and start fighting. She says, clear the room. Yeah. She's finally asserting herself and like, you know, letting him know this is not going to fly dude. And she's, she does it in private, which is smart. Clear the room. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. She's about to lay down the law. Yeah, Rhaenyra is, uh, she's more stately than my clear the room. <laughs> you know, she's not like Queen of England. Clear the room. <laughs> she's forceful, but not, you know, tyrannical. Yeah. Joff, you know, Joffrey. Clear the room. <laughs> Um, so everybody slowly kind of mingles out of the, I guess mingles, not the right word. They slowly proceed, meander. Yeah, that's a good word out of the room. So the queen can have a word with her prince consort or king consort. Like I know earlier they talked about how Damon would be the prince consort. When Corliss arrives in the next, a couple scenes from now, he, she says the prince is off when different business. So she refers to him as a prince in this episode, which made me wonder. Right. Maybe because he, he's always been a prince because he was the second son of uh, Viserys and his parents. So maybe because he's always had the title prince, he just becomes prince consort. Whereas Lenor was never a prince. So when, if he and Rhaenyra had, were still married, he would go from Lenor Valerian, Heir to Driftmark. But Prince has become kings all the time. Yeah, once you ascend the throne, I guess. I don't know. It, it, may, it makes sense to me. I can understand. I can see it both ways. But it, it would seem to me that he would be king consort. Right. Because he's not yeah. the king. So it should be king consort. I don't know. Um, she says, did the promise of war excite you? It's like, why you uh you want to get down? <laughs> right, <laughs> the table uh, is right uh, here. <laughs> yeah, Stannis and Melisandre have yeah. uh, already in the future, uh, story wise, <laughs> done that. Um, but he he's a little bit worried that she might be thinking about the, you know, about uh, 
agreeing to the terms. You cannot bend the knee to the high towers. They stole your birthright. I was like, yeah, Damon, tell her. Yeah. I stole it. And I was wondering if Damon was having kind of a Corliss moment here, talking about his wife's birthright as a shield for his own ambition to charge forward. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, I think he genuinely does, you know, I mean, he feels like they stole her birthright. And I agree with him. They they did. But yeah, he's definitely like he, I mean, like Rhaenyra brings up right here. If you could take the Iron Throne without putting Otto's head on a spike, would you do it? You know, obviously, I mean, that's what he really wants to do. And him and Otto have been in odds since day one since that we started the series. One. And they were in the high count, the high council, the small council meeting room. And they're, you know, at odd and Corliss also kind of at odds with, with the hand and Viserys. Um, but he, he doesn't answer her question and just trying to, you know, use her anger and sh- how she's been wronged to motivate her. Aren't you angry? And, but she, you know, she's being very um, even and, and not emotional. Uh, Shall I declare war just because I'm angry? So, I mean, she, she is angry, obviously. Um, She's using logic, she though. No. It's like, you know, there's that right. constant, constant fight between emotion and logic, uh, left brain, yeah, right absolutely. brain type thing. And, you know, a good leader would have a balance of both and know when to un, when to be calculated and when to unleash the fury, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, because Robert Robert had to put down the rebellion that the, uh, the Greyjoys started. And they, you know, they went to war. But the Greyjoys did that because they thought Robert was kind of... Not feckless, but they didn't know he was, you know, still fairly new on the throne. And they, you know, people are going to test you when you're new to power. Yeah. But uh, Damon says, Damon says, no, uh, he should. She shouldn't declare war because she's angry, because it's your duty as queen to crush rebellion. She's she tells him that, you know, my oath reaches beyond our personal ambitions. When she said this, I'm like, what what is she taught? Is she what do you mean? She meant her oath. Your personal ambitions are everything. You're the queen and you're supposed to be the queen. You were promised. Uh, and she says, a song of ice and fire. I'm like, whoa, oh, she's going full, you know, full retard. Is that, is that what they say in Pineapple Express? Uh, Tropic Thunder. Never go, yeah, never go full retard. You went full retard. Never go full retard. <laughs> yeah, she, and when she mentions, you know, how it goes beyond personal ambition, he looks at her like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Uh, she goes full prophecy on him. Um, <laughs> never what? go full prophecy. <laughs> exactly. Like Got to Damon. <laughs> uh, the coming war against the darkness in the north, the conqueror's dream. Viserys shared it with me when he named me heir. And he grabs her. And I couldn't believe it. I know. I was like, what? Oh my what is God. It? It? Bro, 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 bro. Stop. What are you doing? Um, that's Rhaenyra. That's the queen. That's your wife. Like, I get it. The love of your both, life. They've both been through so much in the last day, like this day. I guess this is still presumably maybe the next day um, after the cremation funeral, which turned into the coronation. And then. It's kind of dark. It's either early. It's either dusk or dawn when Otto and them are out on the Dragonstone Bridge. So this could be the next day, maybe. But still, I think so this much is has the happened night to them. Following the odd, like the night um, later on in the evening after they treat with Otto on the bridge. That's the impression that mm-hmm. I got. Yeah, yeah, me too. But I mean, they've just been through so many emotions. Lost a baby. Lost Viserys. The crown has been usurped. They're planning a war. Uh, Damon has to 
question the Queen's Guard and ensure their loyalty and think about attacks and man, try to figure out how they're going to get to River Run or I'm sorry, how how they're going to get their army to Heron Hall. Obviously, Damon's got to go to River Run and talk with Grover, Oscar, uh, Elmo, Tully. And um, all that energy is just like pent up inside him and he's ready to just explode. And when she holds him back on the bridge, it's like, oh, and he's yeah. just like, you know, he like squeezes and holds it in. But this saying, like informing him that his brother left him out of the secret, even though he was heir, it's just like it's the it's the hair that broke the camel's back. You know what I mean? The straw yeah. that broke the camel's back. It just snaps. Absolutely. Yeah. He just snaps. Force and, joke. And. Yeah, he was the heir until, you know, Viserys had a son and he didn't have one for so long. And Rhaenyra was 12, 13, 14 years old. And then she's named heir. So Rhaenyra's assuming that Damon already knew about it because he had been heir the whole time. But right. Viserys had chosen not to tell Damon because even though by blood he was the prince and he yeah. was next in line, Viserys didn't think of him as his chosen heir. Not only that, it's not even like a, necessarily a matter of, of being chosen, but he had his own dream prophecy that he would, ha would have a son named Aegon who would wear the yeah. conqueror's crown. So in his mind, Damon was only ever a placeholder because he was sure that the prophecy would come true. But um, uh, so he never thought it like really necessary to tell Damon. Ironically, if he had told Damon, Eamon, uh, Damon may have played ball a lot more. He may have understood the larger importance of presenting a unified front. And it also, uh, it explains Viserys' obsession with peace. As far as he knew, they'd have to call the banners to fight the darkness at any moment. So his, in his mind, peace was critical to ensure the prophecy would be fulfilled. And also... Uh, Viserys just should have told him because if some catastrophe had cost Viserys' life, the secret would have been lost. So in, in my opinion, you must always tell the current heir so that your prophetic eggs aren't all in one basket per se. Yeah, you know, because anything could happen to the king at any moment. Just drop dead from a heart attack, like his dad, Balon, I believe, you know, just died from a burst belly just out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. And you can't risk so, it. If he, if Balon was the heir, I mean, Jaharis outlived Balon. So if he had told Balon, Jaharis then just told Viserys after the Great Council of 101, I guess. But <clears throat> yeah, uh, Damon and Rhaenyra are both surprised that they, that he doesn't know about the prophecy and the coming darkness in the north and how important it is for them, for a Targaryen to sit the throne and for them to be able to hold the realm together. And it's like insult to injury for Damon. Like he, uh, he loves his brother so much and just wanted his affection all throughout everything we've seen. And for now his brother to be dead and him after they reconciled and he, he thought everything was cool. And then learning that, you know, his brother left him out of this major secret is just like a huge yeah. blow to him, I think. It really is. So it just, he totally snaps and just has his way for a moment. I mean, yeah, he literally Darth Vader's uh, <laughs> Padme here. Yeah. And he, he Anakin's Padme. Uh -huh. And um, she's, you know, she's trying to breathe and, oh, and he's telling her, his hands. you know, my brother was a slave to his omens and portents and visions and dreams. And so it's definitely, I mean, I think Viserys is definitely a dragon dreamer. And, and his dream came true. Aegon, he had a son named Aegon wearing the Conqueror's crown. I know, it ended up happening. was 
enthroned. Is that the right word? We can make it the right word. Enshrined is a different word, but he was put on the Iron Throne. Coronated, you could say. I think this was a line from the early trailers, maybe. I can't remember. Dreams didn't make us kings. Dragons did. Oh, I forgot about that. What a crazy context it's in. We didn't know he was literally choking out yeah, <laughs> his <laughs> niece wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Great. Yeah. If you had, in episode one, if you had told us this was going to happen in episode 10, you're like, whoa, what? Who? Wow. wow. <laughs> um, he finally lets her go. And she's just like, just Emma Darcy made some, I mean, amazing like sounds. Like I, even on the rewatch, I'm like, she's like talking a little bit, but then her mouth is barely open and she's making these these breathing sounds that it seems like like it doesn't look like her her mouth should be making those sounds. Not that it is like it's mismatched with timing. It's, it's just really, it's just, it was really good. But I was like, is she, I couldn't tell if they'd like put it in and post or what, but I think she's really just this like breathing in sound. I don't know how to explain it, but it was crazy. He never told you, did he? Oh, and he's just like, Argh. and dude, for like for a split second, just before he releases her from his from his grip, he this look of like fury comes across his face and he grimaces like snarling at her. Like just for a brief second, he's considering just ugh, crushing her windpipe and then he ugh, kind of pushes her back and steps back and <laughs> releases her. But for a second there, like crazy energy came over over Damon, some some evil type type of stuff yeah i mean and this is people's like oh this doesn't fit damon's character uh damon's my favorite it's like uh, okay same with danny if she or he and damon in this case if they're your favorite okay it is what it is but they can be your favorite but still be this very dark complicated character that isn't your stereotypical hero from another story Right. That's not how George writes his characters. And speaking of prophecies, like people were, you know, the whole point of this show is that like prophecies are bullshit. You know, Cersei, like Cersei has the prophecy from the woods, Witch about, you know, all of the bad yeah. stuff happening. And the only reason any of it comes true is because of her own actions and that alienate people around her and cause the prophecy to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If she had never heard the prophecy, it never would have happened. None of it. And same with all these other people, Rhaegar, with his, the death at Summerhall and all these things, prophecies end poorly and don't turn out the way you think they are. It's like a fluke that Danis the Dreamer got her thing right. And, and um, Viserys correctly you know seeing the egg on with the crown you know that's kind of a fluke too i mean as long as he has a male son it's virtually a guarantee so <laughs> that's not even that's barely even a prophecy you know what i mean <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's like just likely to happen anyway um but you know people were upset that like oh john snow wasn't the one to kill uh you know the night king that's because prophecies are bullshit that's like the whole point of this whole of this story you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, yeah. At best, you know, like Melisandre says, same with magic. You know, it's it's a double edged sword with no hilt. You know, there's no way to use it without getting cut. Right. Bits and pieces are true, but never like the whole thing and perfectly accurately. Like, yeah, the the darkness comes from the north, and there's White Walkers, but not you know. Like I, I've already ranted about that enough on other <laughs> other podcasts. I don't want to piss off any more people <laughs> who didn't like it. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. I, you know, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so yeah, then it 
cuts to uh, to Rhaenys sleeping in the chair beside Corliss. And so Corliss oh, wakes up in his bed and man, it's good to see Corliss after a couple of weeks without him. Good to know he's feeling better. And Rhaenys is sleeping in her chair. And she, <laughs> I've had men whipped for falling asleep on their watch. And she kind of wakes up. You are no man. He's happy to see her. And right off the bat, she plays the guilt card uh, to yeah. emphasize it's it's a, like that this is important to her and to lay the foundation for leveraging him in a few minutes to make sure he'll support Rhaenyra. You abandoned me when I needed you the most. He left us. He left us. Our children stolen from us. I needed you. Bela and Raina needed you. You abandoned us for adventure far away as has always been your way, you know, off to sea. And uh, he's, Coralus is trying to justify it, that he lost everything and had nowhere to turn. But she's like, we, we lost everything, Coralus. Sort of like Damon, he, instead of turning and holding his family close, he, you know, just kind of looks for an exit and looks for a way out. And for Coralus, it's always been the sea. So that's what he does after losing Lena and Lenor. And uh, obviously at the expense of, you know, almost his own life, going to the stepstones and he's left his wife for these six years. It's, you know, yeah. not a great, not a great relationship building tool to uh, sail away for six years. Definitely. And like you said, some interesting parallels here between Corliss and Damon, the way they're alienating their loved ones uh, in their own, you know, selfish way of dealing with loss and trauma, unfortunately. Uh, so he's like, I understand we have a new king changing the subject. And, and Rhaenys has to break the bad news to him that the stranger has cast an even longer shadow over their family at this point, since Vaymond is also dead. And Corlys like, oh, like starts to sit up in bed. And she explains that in his haste to bury you and claim your seat, he stood before the king and denounced Lenor's sons as illegitimate. Uh, in your anger, you killed her. So, <laughs> I just thought tonight. <laughs> and uh, Corliss is like, oh, like he kind of like relax, like loot the tension, kind of like disappears, and he's like, oh, that sounds about right. Fucking idiot. He's always mutinying <laughs> in one way or another. God damn it, Vaymond. You fucking idiot. You know, like oh, why'd you have to go and do that? You know, because he knows that it's true that they're illegitimate, but he's like, ah, oh, God, it's just senseless death, you know? I mean, it's not heedless senseless. ambition. Yeah, heedless ambition. Yeah, exactly. He says it's always been a Valerian weakness. Uh, oh, yeah, because Radius explains Damon took his head for it. And he has like this moment of self-actualization where he realizes that their ambition has cost them dearly. And he's like, you were right, Radius. I reached too far. And for nothing, our pursuit of the Iron Throne is at an end. We shall declare for no one. We will retire to high tide and be content with our grandchildren. And, and I'm like, oh, no, don't talk about retiring and being content. That type of talk never ends well on TV shows like this. <laughs> you know, like, don't do it. Don't even go yeah, there. Mm -hmm. And uh, she cuts him off, reminding him that Jace, Luke and Joff are all claimants to the throne. And she didn't even mention Bela and Reyna are married to, to are going to be married to Jace and Luke. So none of them are going to be safe as long as Aegon is king. And ch sad cello starts to play. And uh, it's true, you know, and Rhaenys has already 
already planted the seed with her first mark about Corliss abandoning her. Basically, now all she's got to say is, you already abandoned me when I needed you most. We cannot abandon our grandchildren when they need us most, you know. And he's, mm. she's got him, hook, line, and sinker. And so, <laughs> so, so he tries to resist. Uh, it is useless to resist. Saying, uh, Rhaenyra was complicit in our son's death. That girl destroys everything she touches. And Rhaenys is the one this time in the power move to pull her hands away from Corlys the way he had in front of the hearth when they were talking about uh, the succession and whether there were whether the kids were bastards and illegitimate. And she points out rightly that that girl, Rhaenyra, is the only thing holding the realm together at present. Every man at the paint round the painted table and it cuts to a, a image of the painted table in the next scene as she still starts to talk so we can see how true it is. Every man standing around the painted table urges her to plunge the realm into war and she's the only one who's demonstrated restraint. Hashtag truth. Everybody is just you know, rearing for battle at this point, except her. She's the only one that's trying to keep peace and hold things together and uh, then it cuts back to the war room. Yeah, we get a little, you know, tactical talk uh, between uh, Bartimus Keltigar and Lord Staunton. The purpose of war is to fill graveyards, my dear Lord Staunton. <laughs> <laughs> the trick is to put more of their men in the ground than your own. Um, which, I'm trying to remember the quote. Is it from a Marine general? I don't think it's Chesty. Chesty. I don't know. I heard it somewhere. That, you know, they were talking about the point. Oh, I'm trying to remember. The point of war is to not die for your country, but to let the other poor bastard die for his or something like that. That's a good one. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Fine. Who? Oh, maybe George Patton. Not yeah, ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his. Nice. Patton? Yeah, I believe so. George, General George Patton. So pretty epic. Yep, Patton. And then uh, one of them talks to the other. Easy words for a lord who commands from the safety of his castle. So I'm wondering if one of these guys is like a Ned Stark riding at the front of his army and the other guy is a uh, Walter Frey. A George Washington versus a King sits George. His, yeah, sits in his castle and waits for waits for their army to go do their bidding. What is thy bidding, master? <laughs> and then Eric, with an E, announces, Lord of the Tides, Lord Corlys Valerian, and his wife, the Princess Rhaenys Targaryen. Uh, and they kind of slowly come down the steps. He has a, uh, Corlys has a cane now. Yeah, he's, um, he's on the mend, though. Absolutely looking good, <laughs> walking pretty good, a little bit slow. I still think he has like a bandage or kind of like a scarf thing around his neck from where the Corsair's dagger slashed him. Oh, right. Because uh, that was the, what happened with, that was his wound. Uh, he took a slash. Um, Rhaenyra greets him. Lord Corliss brings me much relief to see you hale and healthy once again. Doesn't Missaria wear something around her neck too to hide her scars? I don't know how she got these scars. Similar type thing. Uh, right? I believe so because we saw our last episode. We saw she was wearing a different kind of dress, and we could see the the scars at at uh, kind of at her neck, at her windpipe kind of area. Right. Yeah, I thought so. Oh, yeah. She says hale and healthy, just like uh, her father said about his father. Yeah, absolutely, it's a Targaryen phrase, I guess. Hale and healthy. <laughs> Corliss, you know, tells Rhaenyra that you know he was 
sorry, sorry, sorry. I almost said it was the Canadian way. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm very sorry about your father, princess. He was a good man. Where is Damon? There were other concerns which demanded the prince's attention, which I was like, I figured he might have already flown off to River Run. Right. Yeah, I thought maybe she just sent him to his quarters to sit and think for a while. Yeah, because because Damon Rhaenyra's last interaction was you know, the force choke. Right. Um, yeah. But so um, he's off doing uh, Vermithor things. We yeah, find out. Yeah, exactly. Um, Corliss kind of walks over to the eastern side of the painted table, you know, kind of near the gullet and is kind of looking about uh, and asks, you declared allies. Yes. Too few to win a war for the throne. Like, Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's a captain, too. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> the Lord of the Tides, Master of Driftmar, Driftmar Captain of Obvious. Uh, um, he, um, and Rhaenyra says, well, we would hope, also hope, to have the support of Houses Aaron, Baratheon, and Stark. And uh, Corliss is kind of different than Gandalf, where uh, Gandalf says, oh, a fool's hope is all we need. Oh. Corliss says, hope is the fool's ally. Um, Great reference there. Um, dude, both, uh, uh, let's see. Oh, Rhaenyra says, and obviously Aaron and Baratheon both share blood with, with her house with, uh, through Jocelyn Baratheon, the mother of Rhaenys. And then obviously Emma was an Aaron. Uh, her mother was, was, uh, Targaryen and her father was Aaron. Let's, let's not gloss over that line though. Corliss sa says, hope is the fool's ally. That's, that's pretty hardcore. He's, it's ballsy of him to insinuate that the new queen is a fool like that. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's some attitude he's given her and he's, he's not making it clear yet that he's backing her. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty funny. Right. Yeah. Although Corliss and Rainey's are both wearing black here. Ooh. Which, you know. Is a good omen for Rhaenyra and her calls, you know, until until he declares. True. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good point. Good point. If they had come in wearing green, you know, she should have just told the uh, King's Guard to cut him down. Off with heads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so Rhaenyra is is thinking that because Aaron, House Aaron, and Baratheon sure blood with her, then they should, and they swore oaths. Uh, all of them swore oaths to her that. They should side with her. But uh, Corliss says, well, uh, House Hightower, they swore an oath to you, too. And, you know, look at what they've done. Dude, and she flips it on him so hard. And she does flip it on, as did you, Lord Corliss. The gauntlet is down. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, that was such a badass line. It's like, all right. What say you? And she what just looks you? right at him. Yeah, <laughs> what say you? <laughs> yeah. Your father's realm was one of justice and honor. Our houses are bound by common blood and common calls. And before he gives his full answer here, it's like when she when she says, uh, "As did you, Lord Corliss." He stops dead in his tracks, and and he starts. He's, his eyes pan the room, and he focuses his, in on his grandchildren. You know, and uh, he knows, like from his conversation in the last scene with Renice, he knows he can't abandon them to the mercy of the greens and that his remaining blood needs his strength and the strength of house Valerion and their fleet at their backs. And he looks at the grandkids and then turns forward. And for just a brief moment, he closes his eyes and hangs his head as though he feels the weight of the decision he's about to announce, bringing his family into war and risking everything that he's built 
over these years from from his bootstraps, you know, the fleet and everything. And that's when he uh, he begins speaking again. And as he was saying that our houses are bound by common blood and common cause, I was like, yes, yes, do it. Um, I did remember from the books that that Corliss and House Valerion end up siding with the blacks. But this was kind of an, a fun uh, I mean, unless they're going to change it, but that'd be a, that like that would be a monumental ch- book change. They, they made us think they were potentially going to change it for a little bit. Remember when Rainey split temporarily? That was good. Yeah, they played with it and dramatized it and made us wonder. It was like, surely they won't do this big of a change to take the Valerians from the blacks and put them right. in the greens. Dude, the writing is so good on this show. But you know, they, so yeah, they kind of left us in limbo all the way to the finale here, yeah. uh, to the end. So this good. high tower treason cannot stand, and like almost expected the room to like erupt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's going, I think I, yeah, I think uh, when I was uh, when he said that, uh, I think I was like, yes, yeah, me too. I was yes, like, yeah. Yeah. for the win. <laughs> I summon you to fulfill your oath, uh, and he does. Yeah. He fulfills his oath. Um, you have the full support of our fleet and house. Your, your grace. grace and Rhaenyra looks like surprised at his quick declaration of support. She looks so surprised that she almost does like a double take. <laughs> like, what, what, what? <laughs> yeah. And Corliss does a long, solemn head bow, showing how just how serious he is, taking his time with the bow. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, she's surprised, but she's like very relieved because this could literally turn the tide of the war, having a naval power. And how much, uh, how, how, affected she is by this like it, it shows in the way in her delivery of the next line you Absolutely. honor me lord corliss it reminded me of uh allison mm-hmm. at dinner saying your 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 words move me deeply princess you know like mm-hmm. a very heartfelt delivery of those two lines and she she turns around and, and looks at rainies and says you know princess rainies i'm meaning that you know obviously her and Lord Corliss, they both honor Rhaenyra greatly. Yeah. And finally, Rhaenys has taken off her armor. Exactly. She, she has on a black dress. So I wonder if, I mean, surely Otto, I'm so, uh, no, sorry. I just really uh, disparaged uh, Corliss by calling him Otto. Um, <laughs> but surely Corliss, like some of their, he and Rhaenys conversation, hap- the end of their conversation happens off screen. Yep, yep. And after Rhaenys is kind of pushing him, it's like, our grandchildren are involved and our actual trueborn grandchildren, Damon's daughters, they're in this as well because they're betrothed to the Valerian boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> so we're involved because they're involved. So, you know, exactly. we got to fight. So they changed their clothes and put on their nice black outfits and black. went out to uh, declare for Rhaenyra. Once you go black, you never go back. And, hey. uh, and so, like, she says, you honor me, Lord Corliss. And he kind of, like, nods at her. And then his eyes flick over to Rhaenys, indicating that it's Rhaenys who convinced me. And that's when Rhaenyra turns to look at, at Rhaenys and... Uh, Corliss is saying that you should be thanking Rainies for, for making it happen. And Rainies is just smiling so broadly at this point. Finally, like you said, she's taken off her armor. She's let her guard down. She can show how she truly feels. And uh, she's smiling like, yep, I want him to your side for you. I got him to join. And <laughs> I love it. So good. Just such an awesome Very moment. Rainier kind of continues her war council and brings Corliss up to speed a little bit. I've told my bannerman, I made a promise to my father to hold the realm strong and united. 
If war's first stroke is to fall, it won't be by my hand. Oh, great writing there. Very good. And, but Corliss is like, so you can sit here and do nothing? Are you not going to act? And, but she says, taking caution does not mean standing fast. I wish to know who my allies are before I send them to war. Confirming what Rhaenys had said to Corliss, that Rhaenyra is holding the realm together with her thoughtful approach to the whole situation instead of just plunging into battle and chaos. Yeah, I mean, she runs into battle and starts fighting now with the few, the small army she's got and their position becomes, you know, they lose a couple of battles. Those fickle lords, you know, right. like Tully and Frey, well, they haven't mentioned the phrase, but I assume they're always fickle and basically oh, yeah, of course. slow to do anything. Uh, Late. They will go to the other side. Whereas if you just kind of prepare and get ready, do what you can, you know, patrol the skies with the dragons, but figure out if the Starks and the Aarons are with you. Right. Because if right. they are, you have a lot more backup coming. And learning that the Baratheons are against you is, you know, that takes a lot of potential manpower away from your position. Yeah, definitely. And it sort of reminded me how in the Godswood, Rhaenys had said, tomorrow the, the high towers strike their f- first blow. They land their first blow. If you kneel, you know, if it, if it brings you to your knees, I'll be forced to, to, to stay my own course and to, you know, hold back. So she doesn't want to, uh, like you said, lose big battles early before she's gotten all the support because those other lords would be like, I don't want any part of this. You know? Definitely. And Cor- this like sort of reassures Corliss that he's made the right decision here as he sees that Rhaenyra is thoughtfully preparing their war footing. And he goes on to explain the result of his battles in the Stepstones, that they now control the whole area and that it's fully garrisoned and that there's a total blockade uh, that's going to be in place in days if it's not already, you know, all set. The Triarchy's gone. The Narrow Sea is ours, which is important potentially if the Lannister fleet wants to come around the southern uh, tip of Westeros, as we talked about before. And hopeful music begins to play with a war drum undertone. What did you say? Sorry. You're talking about the Lannister the Lannister fleet sailing around the southern tip. I said, South Side? Oh, South Side. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, hopefully they don't pick up any Dornishmen along the way and further <laughs> add to their numbers. Yeah. Oh, God, um, that's a good way. I really do, I can't remember if the Dornish are involved at all. I don't think they are because yeah, they're not really they don't in come the until the Seven point. Kingdoms until another couple of generations. So... But I, don't, I can't remember if they play any role for the greens or the blacks as the dance goes on. Um, hmm. So is it Corliss or somebody else that says if we further seal the Corliss. gulf, we could cut off all seaborne travel yep. uh, and trade into King's Landing? That's important. And right away, um, Rainey's offers to uh, use Maylis. She said, I'll take Maylis and patrol the gullet myself. And the two so share. Potentially like- roast any ships that are trying to any green dragon bannered or golden dragon yeah. bannered ships roast them roast them toast them and uh this is another important moment she shares another friendly gaze with Rhaenyra giving a broad smile and like yeah I'm on your side and Rhaenyra looks and she made she keeps her cool but her her mouth flickers in a brief smile just at the corners of uh, her lips as she works to conceal her enthusiasm and delight at learning that Rhaenys joining her cause means an additional dragon you know as Damon had assumed earlier <laughs> yep yeah big dragon at that 
And yeah, Maylis had a little asterisk beside their her name uh, <laughs> in the chart of green dragons and yeah, black dragons. Yeah. Maylis was a little asterisk by it, but now she's full, fully blown on Team Black. So absolutely. Bartimus Keltigar says, when we drain the narrow sea, we can surround King's Landing, lay siege, and force them to surrender. <clears throat> and then uh, Rainier, I believe, says, uh, if we have... If we are to have enough swords to even surround King's Landing, we must first secure the support of Winterfell, the Eyrie, and Storm's Inn. And uh, the maester wants to uh, send the ravens and let's go. But Jace, with a very fateful idea, we should bear those messages. Dragons can fly faster than ravens, and they're more convincing. Send us. Yeah, he's stepping up big. Absolutely. Jace, I saw a meme where Jace says, send us. And Luke's like, no, bro, I ain't going. <laughs> his interior thoughts, but you know, yeah. his brother has the idea. So he's kind of got to go along with it. Yeah. Unfortunately, this suggestion results in his death. Another reason yeah, for him to potentially feel guilt following Lucerus's demise. Oh, yeah, big time. He's going to have a big role upcoming. I mean, he's the prince. Um, mm-hmm. And he's got to try to convince the Aarons and the Starks to, uh, to, start, to side with them. He's a natural-born leader, man. A Corliss tells Rainier, the prince is right, your grace. Uh, meaning, you know, it's a good a good idea for the, to send dragons instead of ravens. Um, and Rhaenyra, you know, I think sort of hesitantly agrees. She looks over at them and Luke gives a nod like, yeah, he's right. And that's what seals the deal. And Rhaenyra gives the orders, gives them their missions. Prince Jaceres will fly north, first to the Erie, to see my mother's cousin, the Lady Jane Aaron, who may not be all that thrilled that Damon is in the mix because of what he did to Rhea Royce. But <laughs> anyway, it's still, Jane Aaron is still um, <laughs> Rhaenyra's aunt. Uh, or no, not her aunt. That's her mother's cousin. So I guess it would be Rhaenyra's second cousin. Once removed, I don't know. Anyway, my mother's cousin, the Lady Jane Aaron, and then to Winterfell and to treat with Lord Cregan Stark. Great name. What Cregan, a name, yeah. <laughs> to support, uh, to uh, try to get the support of the North. Prince Lucerus will fly south to Storm's Inn and treat with Lord Boros Baratheon. And as she's saying that, the camera cuts to a close-up side shot of the boys with Luke in focus. And it's another one of those camera hints that they're doing mm-hmm. uh, with the foreshadowing. And so I think this is something we need to focus on in the future. Keeping an eye who the camera zooms in on, who it's focusing on, and uh, at any given moment, it may provide hints of things to come. And. Uh, yeah. Um, Rhaenyra tells tells them all, we must remind these lords of the oaths they swore and the cost of breaking them. Epic line. So then it cuts to the battlements to outside and Rhaenyra is watching as the sun is setting, waiting for her boys and the clouds are thick. A storm is coming and the, the sky is a little bit red. Um, they say red sky at night, sailors delight red sky in the, in the morning, sailors take warning, but mm-hmm. <laughs> apparently that prophecy is wrong in this case too, because it's a red sky <laughs> at night and things are not going to go well. Uh, so the kids arrive and she's talks, she talks, uh, is, this reminded me of Viserys's conversation with her in front of Balerion's skull, how they talk about how Val- Tar- Targaryens are seen as closer to gods than men. And Viserys says that the dragons help with that. Um, without them, where they're just men. And here, uh, Rhaenyra says that the Iron Throne puts us a touch closer to 
gods, perhaps. But if we're to serve the seven kingdoms, we must answer to their gods. And so she tells them, you can't go on these errands as warriors. You must go as messengers. Take no part in any fighting and swear it to me under the eyes of the seven and holds out this, the book of the faith. <laughs> like, what's the book called? Do you know? It's called the seven pointed star. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what I thought. And um, I totally, totally remember that. And, <laughs> and they swear on it like a Bible at a courtroom basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just shows you how firmly dedicated she is to not starting the physical war. They both swear it and she thanks them and she gives them some, some encouragement and reassures them about their trips to come. She tells Jace that Cregan Stark is closer to his age than hers and maybe they can find some common ground to negotiate. And he's like, okay, okay. And then Luke steps forward with a worried look on his face. But his mother's perfect, right? She'd never put him in danger mm-hmm. with a careless oversight like how the Greens may be sending out dragons also, right? Right? And <laughs> so uh, Stor- she tries to encourage him. Storm's end, it's a short flight. You know, she picks this because it's the quick, easy trip and he's got the smallest dragon and, oh, it's so sad. She's trying to like like do something to help him and let him like uh, show, to let him grow into his position as a potential heir and prince uh, with a, an easy task to start and it's just, it just doesn't work out. And uh, she tells him, you have... Baratheon blood from Rhaenys and Boros is an eternally proud man. He'll be honored to host a prince of the realm and his dragon. Little little does she know that he's already got a bigger prince and a bigger dragon there. Yeah, I uh, call that on the rewatch. I was like, oh, prince of the realm and his dragon. The biggest dragon. The biggest dragon and the most badass prince. And uh, the camera focuses on their two hand, on their hands holding each other as uh, as they're talking here in a, in a mo- moment of silence as they kind of um, just embrace each other's hands. And she's imparting strength into Luke and he looks worried, but he trusts her because she's perfect and she wouldn't make a dumb decision. And he wants to be strong and and live up to his his roles and uh, so he doesn't voice any of his fears. And speaking of that, when Corliss came walking down the stairs into the map room, Luke had a look on his face like, oh, he's he's doing well. Phew. Oh, oh, nice. I'm not going to have to be the Lord of Driftmark and, you know, anytime soon. And unfortunately, you know, you'll never have the opportunity, kid. Uh, oh, so brutal. All right, we've got to wrap it up here for now. That completes our part two of three covering the House of the Dragon finale. Season one, episode 10, The Black Queen. But fret not, we'll be back soon with part three coming out tomorrow. Covering the thrilling conclusion of the first season of HBO's newest hit. Westeros is back, baby, and we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody.